Let the games begin. One million dollars. Assuming you have stayed the entire night. And that you're still alive, of course. Sure is a funky old house. Ain't it? It was the late 1990s. Horror remakes were gaining steam, and horror films in general were making bank at the box office. Each week seemed to bring a new title, and people were eating these up. The Psycho remake had come out in 1998 to lukewarm reception at best. Scream was a few years old. I Know What You Did Last Summer came out in 1997. The Mummy remake was due to come out in 1999, and so was The Haunting remake. It was an interesting time for horror fans, with tons of stuff coming out left and right. People didn't have much to go on besides trailers, ads, and posters. Horror fans had a bit more with magazines like Fangoria. So, a bit in advance, a certain film started catching horror fans' attention. A film starring Jeffrey Rush and Jeffrey Combs, who shouldn't need an introduction. Famke Jansen, who had been announced as Jean Grey in the upcoming X-Men film, and was recently seen in Deep Rising and The Faculty, following an appearance as a Bond girl. Chris Kattan, fresh off of Night at the Roxbury. Ty Diggs from How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Ali Larder, who people knew from Varsity Blues and Drive Me Crazy. And a bunch of other familiar faces. The story was appealing to horror fans, while the cast had everyone else interested. So, what flick could interest such a diverse cast of actors? The remake of House on Haunted Hill. On today's episode, of what the f happened to this horror movie. Well, it was not exactly a failure or a big hit. Made on a budget of about 19 million US, it made just under 41 million US, which can be considered a modest hit given the fact it doubled its budget and box office revenue. That, for just about any movie these days, is considered good to double its budget. But then again, Films now cost hundreds of millions of dollars, so doubling that is considered great. In terms of success, doubling the cost of the movie in 1999 was decent, not exactly raking it in, but still good. However, where the film failed was with critics and a lot of viewers who seemed to just not love this one. To this day, the film made a paltry 31% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 42% audience score. If one checks other sites, the average seems to remain about the same. However, more and more people are talking about this one being fun and a good throwback to late 90s horror. The box office should have been a whole lot bigger though. The film was released on October 27th, 1999, just in time for Halloween. It should have been a huge opening weekend. Perhaps a release a week or two earlier could have allowed it to have more legs before the holiday season slaughtered it. Now, here's a bit of a funny box office situation, one that rarely happens. The number one film at the box office, the week that House on Haunted Hill was released, was The Best Man, a film released the week before and co-starring House on Haunted Hill star Ty Diggs. The Man had a good month there. The second film to be released has a slightly less good month though. Rough on any other weekend and quite a few films made to attract the horror crowd. This leads to an understanding of why House on Haunted Hill may have underperformed. Other films placing better on the charts included a Star Wars film, the first American Pie film, Stigmata, House on Haunted Hill did not even crack the top 25. Well, yes, it made a profit at the time. Being this far down the list on opening weekend was not a good thing, 
and showed the studio that perhaps they should hold their horses a bit and see before giving this one a sequel. To the studio, this was a failure, and to audiences, general audiences at least, it wasn't even a blip on the radar. Thankfully, horror fans are used to this. Problem where? Look good to me. This leads to what has happened since then. Well, the film didn't age all that well, and it's still a remake to a classic film that starred Vincent Price. Of course, some folks still absolutely hate it or think it's a terrible movie. However, it's not that bad. Doing a recent watch, even with a group of friends, can help anyone get into this one. Let's start from the beginning here and see why it's getting a bit of a renewal of interest for those who seem to be finding it by accident. The cast mentioned above is mostly even more well-known now. So people are coming to see Captain Barbosa hate his wife, Jean Grey, who hates him right back, host a party with the girl from Final Destination and some of the Resident Evil films, the guy from Rent and Empire, an old schoolish SNL cast member, a few others with familiar faces, then get Herbert West playing some mad Dr. Vanicut in flashbacks, some horrendously bad CGI, some plot holes, and some cheesy jump scares everywhere. This may not sound like a film that is a need to watch cult movie, but it's growing on people and finding its audience even more. Those who hated it back in the day seem to have softened about it, and those who loved it are still loving it. What kind of magic was director William Malone wielding when he made this movie? Well, he knew what he was doing, even if by some he may have looked like he wasn't. Here, he used the original 1950s film by William Castle, the screenplay by Dick Beebe, based on a story by Rob White, added his own touches, which are rumored to even include adding to the script uncredited, then let his cast loose on it. He moved some lines from characters to characters to make things more logical and have the story move with more fluidity. Then he allowed Chris Kattan to go a bit funnier than planned and brought some seriousness to scenes that needed it. His work here took the spirit of a William Castle film and brought it to the late 1990s. His work was clearly not all that simple. Lots of scenes were shot and plenty ended up not being used. Debbie Mazar, who doesn't even show up on the IMDb page for cast on this film, had a few decent sized scenes where she got to be a bitch to Ali Lauder. These being cut make some sense, of course, but seeing them adds to Larder's character's want to be there. His work shows he knew what he was doing and how to get it done. Of course, the CGI scenes look atrocious these days, as those tend to just not age well. However, the practical effects and stunts are still on point 23 years later, so there is something to be said for that. Also, his keeping nods to the original movie here and there, like the limo procession at the start of the film, the ghosts seemingly popping off the screen, Jeffrey Rush ending up looking like Vincent Price when his inspiration for this was more like John Waters, a result director Malone was definitely not against. Malone understood horror, having worked on Freddy's Nightmares, Tales from the Crypt before this film, and on the Masters of Horror series since. His 2008 film, Parasomnia, seems to have halted his directing career, but perhaps a resurgence in popularity for House on Haunted Hill could help him come back and give us something else this fun. And yes, that is exactly what happened to this film. It was made to be fun, like the old William Castle films. It was produced by Dark Castle, who also produced 13 Ghosts a few years later, another incredibly fun and absolutely underrated horror film. William Castle was known for his marketing gimmicks, such as the one for The Tingler, where movie theaters had seats vibrate, which would surprise audiences at the right moment, and they were encouraged to scream. This gimmick was advertised as Percepto, for his original version of House on Haunted Hill, he had a gimmick called Emerjo, where a skeleton would spring into the audience. This was only done in a few theaters, unfortunately, 
With the remakes of both House on Haunted Hill and 13 Ghosts, the gimmicks were supposed to be back. For 13 Ghosts, it was supposed to be in 3D. Compared to the Emerjo gimmick for the original, the gimmick for the remake was less likely to scare the audience. During the 1999 theatrical run, scratch cards were given to audiences in some theaters with prizes totaling one million. Just like the million dollars, each of the characters stood to win if they survived the night in the haunted former mental hospital. The prizes from the scratch cards included some cash prizes, blockbuster credits, and a few other things. While it was a fun gimmick, it wasn't exactly a million dollars as a price, but rather things that would run the studio a lot less with sponsors involved. In terms of a marketing gimmick, some would say that William Castle had a much more fun one, and being that his gimmicks were remembered today and most people have completely forgotten the scratch cards for this movie, well, that says a lot. Now, if one wants to talk about a gimmick, the sequel to the remake, Return to House on Haunted Hill, was released on DVD and now on Blu-ray with a choose-your-own-adventure type of thing going on with 96 different possible story paths. Now, some would say that is a hell of a gimmick, but it was mostly hell to manage and get something going that made any sense. Back to the remake itself, with its gimmick a marketing ploy and not much else, the film lost the mood of the original with its fear of emerjo, or rather, the fun of a silly skeleton popping out randomly. The film here had to rely on fear, and thus, a few very effective scenes stay effective to this day. If you haven't seen it before, that is. For those who have seen it and loved it, those are fun to show to others. Even the cheese-tasticness of the computer-generated effects work in the right setting. For those who haven't seen it, or the original, and need convincing, the story takes a theme park ride creator who has become very rich from scaring the shit out of people and has him throw a party for his beautiful wife who clearly loathes him. The feeling is mutual. She wants a big party. He decides to make some changes. They find themselves in the house on Haunted Hill, a defunct mental hospital, where the guest lists have been switched and a bunch of people who don't know each other or their hosts show up. The devoted husband has a few surprises in store for these guests and soon his lovely wife wants nothing to do with her own birthday party. After quibbling for a while, the now locked in guests decide to stick it out for their chance at $1 million each if they make it until morning. Seems simple enough, and it is, until ghosts show up and backstabbing runs rampant. Everyone wants the money. The ghosts have other plans. Who will make it out alive? Hint, you can guess pretty early on, one who will, but not necessarily how. In the end, the House on Haunted Hill remake is a fun film with some badly aged sequences and special effects. These actually add to the charm and nostalgia while watching it and help bring a few laughs to the party. Chris Kattan does his best to be funny while fitting in his character. But let's be honest, he isn't that involved in most of the film, so the tension breakers have to be the CGI and other items that just don't make much sense. The scares here are fun, and the crazed Dr. Vonnegut, played by Jeffrey Combs, is the highlight of the film. Between him and Jeffrey Rush, there is plenty in terms of performances here. The rest of the cast round things out nicely, balancing kill fodder with actual interest and appeal. The film is now 23 years old, so it's not getting any younger. And with the way the horror industry is going, you better watch this one before we get another reboot, sequel, remake, requel for it. You know, I swear I saw him crying. 
Another generation gone has feet sound Poseidon. When you say a prayer and you put them in the ground, you speak a whiskey and it's marking bound. Ain't no new shit.